Hello and welcome to episode 57 of Feckin' Metal. I'm your host, Fergal Trainer. Now, you might think it's unusual for me to interrupt the well-received Virtual 11 series that I'm doing with Andrew DeBroy to bring you a different podcast, a different interview with a different person, but this has a timely nature to it. Last week I spoke to Andy, who is the creator of the fantasy board game Book of Skulls, and this is an interview we conducted to enlighten me, a completely ignorant person, about role-playing board games, fantasy board games, or as he called it, a dungeon-crawling tabletop adventure. Uh, So this is a game that's similar in style to the likes of Dungeons & Dragons and things like that that you may be slightly familiar with, or maybe you're very familiar with them, unlike me. But it is slightly different in that it has strong links to heavy metal, has ties with heavy metal. The characters and attributes and various different aspects of the game are tied in with heavy metal. Andy himself is a huge fan of metal, Iron Maiden, Metallica, Trivium, other bands like that. And we got in contact on Twitter and I thought it would be very interesting to do an interview with him about his game and the development of a board game something i have absolutely no clue about whatsoever and all of it was fascinating to me to learn about the machinations of such a a concept and the behind the scenes aspects of developing a board game from a germ of an idea from watching an episode of community several years ago to it actually coming to fruition or almost with his kickstarter campaign which is going to launch on the 31st of may uh, of 2022 I thought it was appropriate to use the Ferg's Quest team music in this game because when else would it be more appropriate to use that questy music than when talking about a tabletop dungeon crawling board game. That team, of course, composed by Kyle McNeil from Seven Sisters or as my friend Kevin called him recently upon meeting him in Gothenburg at a gig, Nathan. I asked him, where the fuck did you get the name Nathan from? And he goes, I don't know, but I can tell you at the time I was completely confident in it. So yeah, if you're listening, Kyle or anyone from Seven Sisters. We had a laugh about that afterwards. And we'll be seeing you, both of us, in the flesh at Manorfest very soon on the 27th of May. But yeah, as I said, this conversation was fascinating to me. I learned all about the development of a board game. Uh, Andy himself is going to a board game expo at the Birmingham NEC, uh, the details of which you can get in the chat. Uh, He's developed an app to go along with the game and has written a full heavy metal soundtrack with 20 original songs. So... Without further ado, this is my chat with Andy from the Book of Skulls dungeon-crawling tabletop board game. Alright, so I have Andy here, who is the creator of the Book of Skulls role-playing board game. Have I got that correct? Yeah, that's that's it. I'm still getting used to the terminology of what different games are. But um, yeah, that's that's it. Right, so uh, this is a first for me. I've never interviewed somebody who has... uh, been, has created a board game and uh, it's not something that I partake in myself although I have friends who do I have some friends who play Dungeons and Dragons and stuff like that um, so I'm familiar with the concept and um, when I picture this I think of like the lads in Stranger Things playing that type of stuff um, but before we get into it I, you sent me on or no it's just on your Twitter page actually you didn't send it to me you have some links to um, your website you're going to start a Kickstarter campaign this month I believe um, that's right to fund the game, but I'm just going to read out the description here for the listeners, and then I'm going to ask you some questions about it, because it's a completely new topic to me, and it's very interesting, and I'd like to ask you about heavy metal, and how you got into it, and how it ties into the game, and various other things that pop into my mind, so um, 
So it's called Book of Skulls. Immediately that says to me that it may have been inspired by the Iron Maiden album Book of Souls. Is there a connection there? There is. And as you can see, uh, well, not for the listeners, but you can see I've got the poster of the Book of Souls behind me as well. So, yeah, I would actually would have liked to have called the game uh, Book of Skull, um, Book of Souls, sorry, originally, but I thought it was a little bit on the nose. So, uh, yeah, I went with Book of Skulls as, as it was. And, uh, yeah, so we yeah, very Maiden influenced in, in that respect. I would imagine you might have been sued by Ari and the boys as well if you tried yeah. to. <laughs> it makes Wasn't a change from people. Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, it makes a change from people suing him, I guess. <laughs> exactly. But what there was a game released a while back by, uh, called Ion Maiden, I-O-N-M-A-I-D-E-N, and they were sued uh, for the trademark infringement with Iron Maiden. Oh, really? Did you hear about that? No, I didn't hear about that, no. Okay. And it, it was a very, it was a kind of a slight similarity in the font, I would say. Ever, ever so slight, kind of angular lettering. But the rest of the artwork and everything was absolutely nothing like Iron Maiden, but they got a cease and desist anyway. So um, it's probably a good thing you didn't call it Book of Souls. No, no, that's good. Yeah, it would have been a, yeah, I might have gone for a bit of trouble there. And I think as well, there was, a, I think there already was a game called that as well. So it right. was taken anyway. But yeah, I mean, back when I first started it, because the, um, the final boss is called the Skeleton Witch, it kind of started the whole skull thing off. And then I was like, the book of kind of title just sounds. It sounded cool to me anyway, at least. So it kind of right. went on from there. Very good. So I'm just on your website here. So Book of Skulls, Slayers of, is it Aragoth or Aragoth? Aragoth. Okay, so Book of Skulls, Slayers of Aragoth is a cooperative turn-based tabletop adventure game where two teams battle against each other for the continent of Aragoth. In their teams, players take turns as both the heroic Slayers of Aragoth and the demons that oppose them as they attempt to stop the other team's Slayers from clearing the overworld and defeating the final boss. Replayability is at the heart of Book of Skulls. During your adventure, players will have access to over 160 unique characters, each with their own moves. Set your overworld using 10 interchangeable levels that each symbolise a unique region of Aragoth. Any number of levels can be selected and placed in any order, allowing you to customise the duration of your adventure. Book of Skulls is fully soundtracked with an original metal score. This is very interesting to me. Controlled via the Book of Skulls app, again, very interesting, which perfectly sets the mood when battling against the demons of Aragoth. Your adventure takes place on the land of Aragoth. Backed by its deep lore, you will find yourself during the Fifth Age as the Skeleton Witch is attempting to release a portal to the sealed Necrogate and harness the power of the demon creator Oblivion. Aragoth needs you. Now is your time to become a slayer of Aragoth. So that all sounds fascinating to me, especially because I have absolutely no familiarity with this. Um, so firstly, before we get into that, maybe you could introduce yourself and just mention how you got into heavy metal. You've got a Trivium t-shirt on, an Iron Maiden hoodie and an Iron Maiden poster. So I'm assuming you're a big heavy metal fan. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So um, yeah, my whole situation with metal kind of started when I think I was about like 13, 14. Lincoln Park and bands like that were coming around. Do you mind me asking what age you are now? I am 35 now. Okay, I'm 36. So we're close enough in age. I used to always say I was in my uh, very upper mid 30s. No, upper <laughs> early 30s, I should say, until I turned 35 and now I'm just mid 30s. So, uh, yeah, that is kind of gone. Yeah, there's no escaping that. No, nah, the sweet lady time comes for us all. Um, yeah, so I was like, yeah, Lincoln Park, Limp Biscuit, that kind of thing. And um, must have been about 15 years old. And uh, one of my friends at school uh, left his headphones on the on the table. And I picked it up and I was like, oh, what is this? It was Number of the Beast. It was on the guitar solo for Number of the Beast. And it like, blew my mind. And from that moment, I was just like become obsessed with uh, with Maiden, and then that kind of led me off. Brave New World was the album was already out, so it's Rock in Rio, Visions of the Beast era, that kind of thing. And um, yeah, I remember getting Rock in Rio, and that just uh, yeah it was like a game changer. And then Brave New World was my favorite album of all time. So yeah, I got really really stuck into metal, and it sort of went on from there. Really, Maiden's still my favorite band, if you couldn't tell, yeah, you know, with the attire and the posters and stuff. But uh, 
yeah, um, it sort of branched out. I got into more like, you know, heavier stuff, but I've always come back to Maiden. Okay, that's really interesting. I, like, I might as well be talking to myself here because I got into Iron Maiden at the exact same time. It was 2002. I was 16 years old. Um, Brave New World was the current album. I did get Visions of the Beast as well. Yeah. And uh, Brave New World is my favorite album of all time still to this day. Um, and also I remember getting Rock and Rio and stuff like that around that time as well. So that's mad that it's, it's such a, a crossover in our kind of time period and how we got into the band. Been on the same journey. Exactly, yeah, it sounds like it. Um, so, Dan, when did you first go to see Iron Maiden? Oh, I first saw them on the Dance of Death Tour at Ells Court. Right. And uh, I queued from, you know, whatever time we queued in the morning. But I was there all day. I was, like, front of the row, like, against the barrier. And I was, I don't know, how old would I have been in uh, 2000 and, 2003, I guess, 2004, something like that it would have been. So, whatever age I was, and I got absolutely crushed at the front. And I remember right. after the gig, I had, like, bruises all up my front. But it was totally worth it to be, like, you know, it just blew my mind at the time. And then mm. since then, I've seen them, um, I don't know, maybe 10 times, probably something like that. I've tried to see them on every tour, saw them a couple of times on the Legacy Tour as well. And uh, I was tempted to go to download because I want to see some of the Senjutsu uh, mm. stuff live as well. That'd be pretty cool. Are you going to go to download? Um, I'm probably not going to go just because there's mm. a lot of stuff going on with the game at the time. And uh, yeah, I'd only be going for one day. And I've been to download for a day before to see Maiden on the, uh, must have been the book of souls tour i assume i must mm. have been and i didn't get was that, to... that oh was you did, did mm. you that was the really muddy year wasn't it it was awful 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 stuff oh, <laughs> i mean the bands were brilliant sorry but uh the, yeah it was just like a swamp oh it, it was so bad i remember when uh because it's like on a like a slope going down towards the stage and it was just like a sea of mud like coming over the top of like your shoes and everything it was grim um yeah. but yeah because we went to see that and the whole day experience and trying to get home it was a bit bit heavy going so probably not this time but i'm definitely going to catch them as soon as they uh come back and speaking no of interest. Visions of the, sorry i was just speaking of visions of the beast before i forget i was just listening to your uh, virtual 11 podcast oh yeah he was referencing about the videos for angel the gambler it just took me back to watching visions of the beast and that kind of thing <laughs> yeah. shocking oh <laughs> I, I think i watched it once maybe and then just put it aside and it's stayed in the press ever since then um but it's a good little thing to have if you ever want to revisit it but back then, I would have bought anything they released, in fairness. Like, I got the Eddie's Archive box set. I got that. I got any DVDs they had gone, whatever. But uh, I kind of since have calmed a bit. Like, I haven't bought all the live albums or DVDs since. Like, um, But uh, Spotify kind of stopped that a bit as well, I think. But I still do buy the, the actual albums, of course. Um, okay, so you, li- you love Iron Maiden. Uh, who else? Like, what else kind of floats your boat? Um, it would have been, you know, Metallica was probably the other big influence. Metallica, Maiden, and then... Over more recent times, I've sort of got back into like bands like Behemoth and that kind of music. So it's kind of a bit more like into the more black metal sort of. Actually, I try and keep it quite broad in general. I go through phases mm. of listening to uh, listening to different bands. But yeah, back then yeah, it was them. Probably Dream Theater. Uh, went for a big like Guns and Roses stage. Yeah, probably a lot of the sort of standard stuff people would uh, people be yeah. into. And then say modern days stuff. You know, listening to uh, a lot of like Tremonti and like the Torch. You know, bands like that, and um, a couple of the bands I guess you would have seen at the festival you went to. Uh, oh yeah, ago. Hell's yeah. Heroes. Yeah, yeah. Um, did you get to check out um, Crypt Sermon in the end? Crypt Sermon. 
Yeah, they, they weren't playing, but they were the band I sent you over on uh, on Twitter. Oh, you sent me them, yeah. I don't know if yeah. I did listen to them. I can't remember if I did now, sorry. Um, I'm going to guess no, I didn't listen to them because I can't remember listening to them. So uh, no, Unless I did cool. straight away, and I and I, I can't remember, though. Um, I will, though. I will. I have a list. Anytime people recommend stuff to me, I put it on a list, but it's quite long at this stage. Um, but I do try and go through it. Um, right, so heavy metal. Obviously, you're still big into it. Um it wasn't just a phase you went through, I can see by your clothing. And now you're doing a board game, which is a tabletop board game. So to me, that's a physical board, dice, pieces, right. all that type of stuff. Mm-hmm. And you are releasing this as a Kickstarter campaign. So that is, people are going to fund the game. And after you get you secure the funding, you're going to start developing it. How did this come about? Where did the idea come from? And how long has this been kind of um, going around your head? So... The whole process has been going on for about three years now. Did you ever used to watch the program Community? I've watched a few episodes, yeah. Um, Chevy Chase is in it? Yeah, that was it, yeah. There was yeah. an episode where, um, I forget now because it was a long time ago since I've seen it, but um, they did a, a Dungeons & Dragons episode. And at the time I didn't know, I had heard of Dungeons & Dragons, but I didn't actually know what it was. Mm. And uh, one of the characters, he essentially, you know, he makes an adventure for his friends. And I was like, oh, that just seems really cool. Like he's made a, what I saw at the time being like a game for his friends to play. Mm. And um, a group of us went away for like a weekend and it was everyone's responsibility to be in charge of something for one evening. And I was like, okay, I'm going to try and make a game. And um, yeah, I just put together this sort of really primitive, at the time it was primitive compared to what it is now. It's like a board game and, um, you know, they had to roll, they had to fight different characters. And I kind of made the characters about the people who were playing about my friends and, you know, all all that kind of thing. And uh, then it just sort of spiraled massively out of control. And now I'm here talking to you about this game, which is really bizarre. It's even more bizarre because I've been aware of you since the Talking Maiden podcast mm. where you met the guys down at the pub because I was actually going to go with them that night. I met, I was in, um, at the O2. I had a drink mm. with them. They said they were going down to the Carson Horses and then ah. I and I couldn't go. So I would have met you then. So it's a little bit of a surreal time that's led me to this moment. Um, yeah, so it kind of went on from there and then I did a couple more um, like novelty style games and my friends were enjoying to play and I was like, okay, well, let's see if I could actually make something of this because I've always been a creative person and, you know, I never became a rock star or anything like that. Never happened for me. So I was like, okay, let's try something else. So the game sort of went on from then in through COVID. It really just picks up because of not being able to do anything else and it's just got, you know, bigger and bigger. So like now, like you were saying earlier, there's like 160 characters. There's 10 different maps and these maps are interchangeable so people can play, you know, a game as long as or as short as they want and they can play any variety of maps as well. Mm. Um, there's always you know, additional uh, Slayer characters and you can, you know, they're interchangeable as well. So pretty much you can play the game, you know, 50, 60 times and you have a completely different experience each time because you can play, you know, five maps one day, two maps the next day and keep changing the orders and the combination of characters. And one of the, it's been quite interesting recently because I've sent the game out to more and more people in the industry is getting their feedback, which was always going to be quite daunting for me and I've just been I'm so happy with the positive reviews that we've got back so it's, it's been great and I think one of the key things in that is where we have this mechanic where you know say that if I was playing against you I'd be acting as the slayers at the moment you'll be controlling the demon characters so we both have our own teams of slayers so I have my turn I move across the board have some battles go into a dungeon yeah etc and then once my turn's finished then you control your slayers and I control the demons so the whole time I'm trying to defeat you while you're trying to get to the end to defeat the final boss and vice versa and that kind of round table um, play seems to be a, a reasonably unusual mechanic which um, which is quite good I guess I was quite, quite chuffed with that 
Okay, so a few things there that I want to ask you about. Uh, but firstly, you did mention, so you've always been a kind of artistic person. Yeah. And like, was that drawing, painting, uh, or what? It's like? music. Um, okay. I, so pretty much, I guess, the whole Maiden thing as well. <laughs> Once I saw them, um, you know, I, I started playing guitar. And um, yeah, I was set when I was younger. So I'm going to become famous, you know, rock star, the usual thing that, that you know, most people go through. Mm. And uh, I formed this band when I was back in... Um, back in uh, very late in school but then into college and we was you know just a lot of local bands we was doing okay on the local scene nothing you know crazy and um, mm-hmm. the funny thing is that i'm still in that band today but we're very very different now so i was in this band and we, you know, we was doing original music and then you know that didn't you know pan out because you know normal life takes over a couple of other things in between and then we got back together to do a uh, a reunion gig and we dropped a couple of covers in one being like a ricky martin cover so we was like a, a hard rock sort of metal band Mm. And um, we did this Ricky Martin cover. He's like, "Oh, that was loads of fun. Let's just do that." So now we're a, a covers band that just play pubs and bars and stuff like that. But we're playing Ricky Martin, uh, Beyonce, Shaka Khan. But it's done in the like Metallica, you know, hard rock kind of style. I'm sorry. What do you play or do in the band? I uh, play guitar. You play guitar. Okay, good stuff. Did, or did you ever get to, to the point of recording original material, or is it just a covers band at the moment? Oh yeah, no, we did um, original material back in the day, but that was like MySpace era, or even before right. MySpace. It was actually at that time. Yeah. <laughs> did it end up on Spotify ever or anywhere no. like that? No, no nothing, nothing Spotify. like that for the old stuff. No, that is uh, lost to uh, lost to time. All my hard drive as well, but I don't think anyone wants to hear that now. That's uh, that's old. They will when you become famous after your Kickstarter campaign. Um, <laughs> so, sorry, back to the cart and horses then. Sorry, you did tell me this when we were chatting on, on Twitter. And um, yeah, that's an even like further crossover in our Iron Maiden fandom uh, to think that you could have come to the cart and horses that day. And we could be good mates now by this stage. Um, I know, it's because really weird. I've kept friends with the other lads I met that day. Like We're still all good friends. And um, it's, it's funny um, how life works, isn't it? And I'm also a big fan of the X Factor album as well. So I would have been there with, I think there's the stories about you guys all singing, uh, I can't what song it was, but uh, yeah. Judgment of Heaven stands out in my mind. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. From that time. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, that's, that's mad. Um, and why didn't you go to the Carton Horses? I can't, why wouldn't you when you're in London? Had you been before? Um, we have been here before the gig. So I went with a few of my friends to, uh, to see Maiden right, and, um, and they were ready to head back and then, yeah, just. I was like, okay, that's what went back. But in, in hindsight, I should have gone. But yeah. it is what it is. <laughs> the, the path not taken. Okay, yeah. so you mentioned uh, watching Community a few years ago and not having any real understanding of Dungeons and & Dragons. How do you get from that point to the point where you clearly know a lot about this type of board game? Did you start playing them in the interim period? Or did you just think it might be something nice that you'd like to develop? So I come from a background of uh, like N64 games. And like game Same here. And that kind of thing, yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I grew up like with Zelda, and then um, you know it's moved on to like Xenoblade and games like that. And I've always just really enjoyed the. So my definition of RPG has always been you know Zelda and Xenoblade and like these games, you know, big open world. Or you know, well, I know Zelda, Pop and Breath of the Wild wasn't exactly open world, but you know what I mean. It's like, like those kind of games. When it comes to board games, like D and D is like you know that's a role playing game. Was the game I have is I've been told is more like a dungeon crawler, which I think sounds even cooler to be honest. Right. So um, it's like a dungeon crawler, like an adventure game. And um, the way it came for me is that I thought, well, I've come from this computer game background and I know what I like in these games um, and I want to make a board game. So I just made the board game that I would want to play based on my experience of you know, playing these uh, different games over time. So essentially what you've got with your... So if you imagine there's, there's a board... Um, I could, I could show you one. It's not much good for the listeners, I guess. But there's you know, the squares that you move along, you know, the usual kind of thing. 
And depending on, you know, you've rolled and you've moved and then you've got these event cards, so it tells you whether you're in a battle or whether you've got a chest or whatever it is that you've landed on. But a lot of time the players will be in different encounters, so the core of the game is, is battling. I think that just comes from, you know, history of probably playing, um, I don't know, just the Final Fantasy or Pokemon or whatever, you know, those kind of games where you have, like, these encounters in the overworld and you have, like, boss battles as well, and that comes back again to Zelda. So it all came from there. It just, it just got bigger and bigger and bigger, and then I think the more deeper I got into it, it's become more of this reality now. And is it just you involved in this project or do you have other people helping you? So in terms of the board game itself, that came from <clears throat> like an idea I had and has been developed, but I've been working with my friends as well. So one of my friends is working on an app as well to go along with the game. Yes. So, he's, so yeah, he's been working on that and then I've been working with friends to do the play testing. So they're kind of my uh, um, guinea pig, my, well, willing guinea pigs, I guess. Um, but uh, yeah, the, the app's coming together really well. So we've got a few different options for that because the way this all kind of panned out was I said to my friends, so I'm making this board game and I really want to have a metal soundtrack with it. Um, but I need a way to be able to play the metal soundtrack because I didn't want you know, players to have to go onto Spotify and then, or whatever we're going to be using. And I go, okay, I mean, this battle, I have to pick this battle theme. It's a bit clunky. Mm. Um, and you know, he was doing you know, different bits with coding and what have you. And then he said, oh, I can make you something. So it started off with him looking at making an audio player and he was going to include like the rule book and the law and anything I needed him to, to add in. And then that sort of spiraled again, you know, out of control with the point he's made like a full version of the board game as an app as well. So it's an electronic version of the game. So we've essentially got like three different options for players. You could either, you know, use it as a um, like the audio player and repository of information, which is what it's there for. You can use it to like track your health and your items and, and record data, or there'll be a point which won't be on launch. This will be like later on um, in terms of the the full um, electric copy, but there'll be a version which can be played along. And the whole thing that comes from that is that you could, in theory, both uh, two players could be in different you know, places, different you know, parts of the world, hopefully eventually, and be able to play the game together by using this app. So that's wow. like that's that's like the end game stuff, though. But for now, it's just an audio player. But he's done always have a coding, so that's been worked on in the background as well. Okay, and then. Um the heavy metal soundtrack. So are there heavy metal aspects involved in the storyline of the game or the characters, or is it just solely the soundtrack that's heavy metal? So, yeah, a lot of the characters, I've actually pulled one out of the character deck. I noticed Slayers was in the description, so I assume. Yeah, uh, there's there's lots of that. So you have, um, I didn't want to be too on the nose with it and call, you know, well, mainly because of lawsuits, I guess, as well, is probably a good point. But, uh, you know, calling, uh, you know. Bruce this, Dickinson. Uh, or... Yeah, hello. Like <laughs> 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 exactly so yeah i went a little bit more um subtle and i used a lot of metal influences when it came to the characters and the moves that they do so the example i've got here because i thought you'd appreciate this one so each character has um four different moves they've got an ability they've got special items so i named uh, this character all of their moves are after x-factor song titles which is right. slightly slightly on the nose with this one however it's i think obscure enough that it's yeah. more like we're an Easter egg. So you've got a move. They've got a move called Edge of Darkness. They've got Sign of the Cross is one of their moves. Uh, <laughs> and they've got their like their um, uh, quote unquote special move is called Judgment Day as well. So it's got like these mm. different tie-ins with metal, and mm. then um, their special uh, sorry their abilities called Fortunes of War. So they get you know the characters are using this uh, currency in the game. So because brilliant. they've won the battle, it's called Fortunes of War. They get more uh, gold basically at the end of the battle. That's excellent. So, That's brilliant. So there's a, a yeah. lot, lot of that kind of stuff. Not necessarily that on the nose with that. There's you know references and um, song lyrics and that kind of thing has been drizzled in. 
Okay, so my next question is then, did you write... So I, I listened to the theme you sent me just before. Uh, the opening riffs, or the chords, sorry, so kind of sounded like Black Sabbath, but then it got kind of more uh, epic metal kind of vibe to it. Did you write that music? Yeah. Right, and was that just you on your own, or...? Yeah, yeah. I, I didn't play. And the it, drums are um, uh, computerized, but they... Okay. Uh, I can't remember what program I used for them, but yeah, the rest of it's me, yeah. And then it, I assume there's a whole entire soundtrack to go along with this. Yep, that's right. So there's um, 20 battle themes. So there's 10 levels. So there'll be 10 boss themes, and then there'll be 10 um, battle themes that are on shuffle, essentially. So when players enter an encounter, they'll just hit the encounter button on the app, and then it will pick one of those 10, unless you're against a specific boss, and then it will play that specific um, theme for the level. Okay. So I should mention at this point that your Spotify artist name is Bards of Fire, if anyone wants to listen to that. Uh, I assume there'll be more music uploaded as the game is released. That's right. Do you intend to upload the entire soundtrack or will somebody have to have the app in order to listen to that? So it's going to be within the app, but I'm going to put it up on Spotify as well just to put it out then if people enjoy the music independently of the game, that's fantastic. Mm. Um, and you know, if someone stumbles across it or whatever, then yeah, that's, that's great. Um, my plan is, it's like I say, to drop a few more out probably around the time. I've got one coming out um, in a couple of weeks which actually has vocals on. I'm working with a couple of different singers because I want to do like a Bard-style song. Mm. And then just from back in the day of doing a lot of YouTube covers, I used to do a lot of metal covers of you know, po- um, pop songs or computer games. I thought, well, what normally happens when, like, say, when Witcher or anything like that, they have like these bard mm. songs. Someone makes a metal cover. I was like, well, I'm just going to cover myself and do two versions of it. Right. So I'm hoping to have them available in the next couple of weeks, um, which would then yeah, just further add it. And the funny thing, because you mentioned the, uh, the artist's name there. So the band I was in when I was in uh, college was called Strings of Fire which is the same band I'm in now doing the covers. So Bars of Fire is like a nod to that. And okay. I was thinking of the way that my these little things spiralled out of control. I can imagine there's going to be a point in my life when my college band are going to be performing as Bars of Fire, performing the music from the game, and the band <laughs> which is named after them. So it's just, it's just all a bit bizarre, but I thought it was like a nice nod to that. Very good. How did you find the uh, process as uh, sorry, of um, becoming an artist on Spotify? Is that difficult, or how do you go about that? Yeah, that was really easy. I used... Um, um, DistroKid, I think I used was the yeah. Um, I've heard like of that. Of, yeah, yeah, that was fun. Really, really easy. Um, it didn't cost a lot even. They just published it on YouTube, Spotify, um, pretty much all, all the main platforms. I typically use Spotify, but I know it's on about five or six different platforms now. So, I mean, I assume probably this isn't a concern for you at the moment. But does DistroKid, let's say you became a Spotify sensation in the future, do they take a cut of any uh, royalties you might get? I'll be honest, I'm not sure because okay. I didn't think that far ahead, being uh, not expecting to get that big. But you never know. Um, I'll have to review that later on if they if they do or not. But You might we'll want to go back and read that contract. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm not to, sure it's going to be breaking in the millions of hits. I can't imagine that's going to happen. <laughs> Aim high. You don't want to be a Black Sabbath in the 1970s kind of situation where Patrick Meehan is screwing you out of all your royalties. Um, <laughs> okay, I had another question there. Sorry. Okay, right. So... I'm going to get on to Kickstarter in a minute, but are you waiting for the funds from Kickstarter to come through before you go and procure the actual materials you will need? For example, I assume you'll need to get some company to produce the boards, to produce the plastic, to produce all of that. Do you wait for the money to come through before you do that, or do you do that in advance, or is it a combination? It's a combination. So I've got prototypes, which is what we've been using to, to play you know, at home, and we've been using them as well with the prototypers. Um, in terms of... The art, which is the art, I mean, if you look at, so we need to raise essentially um, 
money for different um, parts of the process. So the manufacturing is obviously like a, a big chunk of that. But when it comes to the art, um, that's really, really expensive. That's one thing. This whole process, this has been like having a second job, to be honest. A job that I, don't get me wrong, I love doing this. Um, but the amount of work and um, um, surprising uh, costs as well that have come up has been uh, <laughs> unsuspected, really. Um, so with art, it's, it's expensive. So I've got a few characters already, which we've got on the website and you know, we've had them to help with the promotion. Um, and then yeah, hopefully once we've raised enough money, I'll be out in green like the artists. So that will take a couple of months. And then once all the art's done, we can send it for manufacture um, from there. And I know you haven't launched your Kickstarter campaign yet, but I have seen them before and, and I, I've even contributed to one in the past. But um, how, like, was this always your intention or did somebody suggest it to you? Uh, for funding was this always your model yes someone did actually suggest about um going through crowdfunding and i was aware of kickstarter from before and so you know uh, you know backing things before and um it seems like a, you know, a fantastic platform that your average person who you know, has a hobby or, or, or an idea that they've got and they've got it to a certain point I mean, there's no way i can fund this game by myself <clears throat> to the extent we need to to be able to order you know like a thousand copies with the you know with the manufacturer or whatever so um yeah, we, we have to have that, that backing from, from people. And it's a, the thing is, when it comes around, you need the buy-in of everybody as well. So you have this stage at the moment where you're trying to promote it and you're putting yourself out there on you know, Instagram or, or Facebook and what have you. So you've got to really put yourself out there and then you have to take the gamble that people are going to take the chance on you because they're not going to get the game for you know, a, mm. a long time. You're pre-ordering it like, you know, maybe nine months in advance mm. or something like that. Yeah, crowdfunding. And so, but essentially, though, everyone who contributes, unless you have very small tiers where it's just like, you know, we're throwing you a few pounds to help you out, most of the contributors, I assume, will get a physical copy of the game. Is that the general idea? Yeah. That's right, yeah. So, and do you have any lower tiers where they can just fund it and, you know, you give them a, a shout out or anything like that? Or Yeah, that's that's right, yeah. So with uh, Kickstarter, you get like a, a basic tier that people can just um, like chip in at an amount that they want to. And then from there, we're going to have... Um, like a digital version, so you get the PDFs of the game. I mean, it's a pretty heavy game. You're saying about you know, the amount of characters and, and content, but there is a PDF version, which is uh, going to be a, a much cheaper option. And then we'll have the um, physical game, and then we'll have the game with some merch as well. I'm I'd really, I'm very conscious about having you know a higher number of tiers and making it too ambitious because the game itself has got a lot of content, and that's mm. the that's the main objective at the end of the day. I don't want to you know add you know all these different extra bits that adds extra complexity in the supply chain. Because in my day job, I work in supply chain, so I don't want to overcomplicate it. Right. So I get this first one out, they get it into people's hands mm. so they uh, they can get playing it. Okay, I'll go back to the supply chain in a second because I did think of a question about that. But before that, when you mention things like, now this might be my own ignorance slightly of these types of games, but when you mention on your blurb on your website about 160 characters, and the, in the physical game, are those characters represented by figurines or cards, or how how are they represented? By, by cards. Cards. Okay, right. That's right. Yeah, by cards. Yeah. Okay, so it's okay. I was just thinking of the bulk of the actual box itself. Um, is that something you've considered? Do you have a prototype of the entire thing? Do so the prototype I've got at the moment, I'll, I'll show you just for the sake of. Uh, yeah. So it's roughly like this sort of size box. We've got so it's not oh, so it's not okay, huge. Right, so yeah. because you've got the cards, these are bigger than standard size. Um, but uh, poker cards yeah however um so for the benefit of the listener that's a uh, maybe slightly smaller but deeper than a monopoly box and the cards were maybe one and a half times the size of a title deed card in monopoly. yeah exactly yeah so when it comes to the box <laughs> there's another thing it's trying to keep it um small because i've seen you know i haven't played um a lot of board games before and that was an intentional um decision because 
I didn't want to be influenced by anything else. I wanted my ideas to be my own and to not, because um, it's easy to be influenced by, oh, that idea is quite good. Maybe I'll uh, I know. add that. So as I really don't want to um, have that, idea, or that seed planted in my mind mm. or to think, oh, that's a better idea. So I wanted to keep it as original as possible. So, But when it's come to doing more research now at the back end, seeing what other people are doing, the, these games are huge. Mm. Um, and I'm trying to keep the box at a reasonable size. The maps in the final game are going to be uh, have like a fold in the middle. So they can be stored away within the box and not have this yeah, huge yeah, yeah, box. Yeah. So at the moment, the one I've got uh, for the prototype is just a bit bigger than an A4, um, A4 size, but the final one will be a, a bit bigger than that. Okay, so back to the supply chain. So you mentioned the figure of 1,000 there. Was that just something you were throwing out or is that your actual um, desired kind of first ship or first kind of stock amount? Are you going to get 1,000 of these? That would be, yeah, that would be my goal if I could get 1,000 uh, copies because with the um, manufacturers as well, that's pretty much the MOQ. You can go lower. However, the because we've got customized dice in there with uh, you know, customized uh, symbols, it just the cost is is just prohibitive. So I get you, yeah. So economies yeah. of scale type of thing. Exactly. So a thousand would be really nice, um, but we will see. I mean, you know, we have to see how it all, all pans out. But um, yeah, that's what I'm pushing for. So Dan, are you going to store them in your home? No, I don't think my wife would appreciate that. Uh, okay. We've got a we've got um, like a fulfillment company we're working with, uh, based in uh, Portsmouth, who've been really uh -huh. helpful actually throughout the process. They've taken um, they've taken me under their wing and uh, given me some really good advice. They're into metal as well, so I think when they first found out about the project, and nice. that's the thing I was saying to you before we started recording, it's been surprising finding the amount of people who are into board games and metal, and yeah, and vice versa as well. Well, I mean, so, it, it's obvious from listening to a lot of bands that like it is a serious crossover. Like the likes of Visigoth, uh, Eternal Champion, those fantasy-based bands. Um, there's a clear kind of you could it, it like it's not too far of a jump. Well, with Visigoth, it's definitely not. They have a song called Dungeon Master. Um, but like <laughs> I mean, like the sword and sorcery aspect of epic heavy metal and all of that. Um, and some of the old power metal from the eighties, like it, those are like. They just go together. Absolutely. It's just yeah. something I've never personally got into, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't look down my nose at it either. Like it does look, looks enjoyable and looks fun. I just, I don't know anyone who would, other than one friend of mine, I don't really know anyone who would do that or partake in that. So I've never, I've never experienced it, put it that way. That's it. Exactly. I said that for myself, it was always, it's something that I've come into as an outsider. And um, one thing I think has been, been really good is the community itself have been extremely supportive um, even other people who are launching games around a similar time, they've been very supportive of, you know, um, mm. you know comments and, and helping to share and everything like that. So it's really opened, um, yeah, opened up this whole new, uh, whole new community. It's great. So when you say community, I'm thinking as well, like I, I have a podcasting community and we, we do tend to help each other out rather than try to compete with each other. Um, but what kind of what kind of platforms do you have communities on? Is this online? Is this people you'd meet in person um, at events? Or what, where where does the community for for these types of games originate? I think it's, it's a bit of both. I think the um, convention community appears to be quite big. Right. And I'll be I've been to a couple uh, the back end of last year. This was in the because um, there was a point where there's there just so much. As I say, like I completely have loved every minute from doing this. But trying to make up all the, the characters, the story, just the amount of mechanics and everything in there, I've kind of focused on that. So it wasn't until the back end of last year I started to go to places and you know get myself a bit more immersed in it. And just from you know going up and talking to people on their stands and saying like you know I need help with uh, dice manufacturer, I've got this game, and then they'll just be giving you all this information. They yeah. get no gain out of it. Um, so it's, it's been fantastic, and we'll be when we're going to be launching, which is on the the thirty first of uh, this month. That was my week. next question. <laughs> oh, there you are. I've uh, segued that in. Um, 
we're going to Board Game Expo, which is um, pretty much like the biggest one um, at the NEC. It's the biggest Brilliant. one in the country. So, yeah. Right. So you pay for a stand or a That's slot right. or a space at that. How long is that? Is it a day, a couple of days? Well, I thought it was a couple of days in my naivety, but it's like a four-day. Um, Fuck. We've got, <laughs> I know. It's one day where we're, um, we're going to be setting up. Um, and doing some bits and bobs, but it's Friday to Sunday is the is the main bit, and we've got a stand there, like I say, and uh, yeah, I'll be um, I'll be there talking at length every day, trying to flog it to everybody. Brilliant. Comes near me. <laughs> so then, um, I see you have like a, a pre-launch Kickstarter page up, and I'm, I'm familiar with this platform; I've seen it before. Um, but is it possible to gauge the level of interest? Can you go on things like hits, or how how do you gauge the level of interest in advance of your launch, or can you? So we've got a couple of different platforms. So we've got a mailing list. So that's been a reasonable indicator of how we're doing as well. Um, we have, like you say, we've got the, um, the the pre-launch page as well, which people can click on that if they're interested. But I found that um, when things go live, it makes it a bit easier because you can say to people, oh, it's not coming out in three, four weeks' time. It's like, it's there now. Here it is. Go, go look at it. Mm. We're working with um, a couple of, uh, so working with a promotional company as well and, um They've been putting out different adverts for us in you know, some of the key spaces, and they've been giving us feedback on how many hits we're getting and um, what's performing better, what sort of things aren't performing as well. And I've been able to tweak the uh, different ads that we've got based on that. So it's been very interesting. The whole process, so you've, there's a lot of additional skills I've had to pick up along the time, but there's a lot of just additional things you have to think about. And it's been really eye-opening as well, especially when it comes to the promotional side, seeing what things work best for different um, audiences as well. Mm. So like trying to get some traction. Good stuff. Okay. So you mentioned this is like a second job. I feel I can relate to that in a way in that doing a podcast can also be like that. Uh, I find it eats up almost all my free time. I'm assuming yeah. you're the same. Yeah, definitely. Is, does free time exist for you anymore? Do you <laughs> it's especially we're in a very intense period at the moment where, you know, the Kickstarter's going to go live and then we've got this um, you know, game expo. It's uh, kind of like a now or never. Yeah, you know, all this last three years, there's so hundreds and hundreds of hours of work have gone into this, and like the last few nights, I've been up to like two or one in the morning, just trying to work on you know, rework. I'm looking at the Kickstarter page and going, "Could I?" Obviously, you can't see it at the moment because it's on the, the hidden bit. I was like, "Oh, can I reword that sentence better?" Is can I yeah. kind of something a bit more succinct there, or a bit more punchy? And I think with a lot of these things, and I may quote uh, Lars Ulrich from some kind of monster when he said, "When is a record done?" It's kind of like at some point you're going to be like, <laughs> you know, this is done. I can't do any more work on it. And the thing is, the game doesn't. Don't get me wrong; that the game is the game is done. Mm. But we'll continue playtesting it um, again and again and again until we get to because the, there's so many characters and different combinations you can get until it goes to print. But um, you know, for the Kickstarter, you know, the main thing is being able to show people this is the game. You know, we can voucher. We've done all this testing. We've got these other people who have put their input in. Mm. you know come take a chance of us and support it um but uh yeah i'm sure it's gonna be many many late nights to get uh, to the 31st and then when it goes live it's, just, it's out there and i just have to then just be pestering people to check it out very interesting okay so what do you do? like you said you have a job you have a wife you have a life obviously outside of this when it does go live and you mentioned this intense kind of period and i assumed like it's going to get worse before it gets better um <laughs> will you take some time off work or or how, how are you going to manage this like or, or actually let me go back a second before you answer that question you mentioned the fulfillment company and i did mean to ask you about that so will they manage all your postal orders all of that stuff does, does all of that traffic go through them or do you have That's to right. deal with it yeah okay right yeah so they, they manage like the customer service the um warehousing and everything else which is you know i mean obviously there's a you pay for the service, you know, they take, um, they take a, a cut of the shipping costs. But uh, yeah, to have to put all the games in your house and then, you know, once these people, you know, your backers are taking the chance on you, that, you know, you're a genuine person and like you're 
going to do your best. Um, so the fact that I've got a company that I know I can rely on them because you yeah, per perfect scenario, I've got a thousand people back the game. We've got a thousand copies, for example. Um, and then um, trying to take a thousand copies down the post office is going to be challenging. Oh, I know. So, <laughs> Jesus, I know. Much better, leave it to, I found out through life is if people are paid to do stuff for a reason, Mm. Um, and I think it's best to leave it to the professionals. You know, so I stick with what I'm good at, and I'll leave what they're good at to them. Yeah, I'd be kind of similar minded to you. So I assume they take some sort of percentage. I'm not asking you for details or anything, but like, it, they, do they take a do they charge an upfront fee, or do they take a cut of the number of processed units? Yeah, so it's it's a per unit basis. So okay. you know, we sell more games, it's a better result for them, and there's like some you know, uh, there'll be some setup costs at the at the front end. But yeah, you know, they've been fantastic throughout the whole process. They've been very supportive, and um, even when it came to going to this uh, convention, we've got it was them who were pushing, say you got to go get a stand, you know, be there, and um, you know, me and my naive like mind, I was hoping to go there and just like you know, hand out leaflets and try and hustle a bit. It's like mm. no, get yourself a stand, get yourself a big banner, play your soundtrack on there. Mm. Um, so I feel sorry to the people either side of us. They're going to hear, you know, whatever songs I've got on the soundtrack about 5,000 times in three days. Ah, fuck them. So will you, will you, will you, <laughs> it's dog eat dog. <laughs> will, will you have uh, somebody assisting you at this convention or is it just going to be you on your own? Yeah, so I've got um, a friend who's working on the app. Um, he's going to be there as well. Um, he'll be there for all the days. My wife's going to come and support and, um, you know, help us out there. Maybe another one of my friends as well. So, yeah, well, we've got... We'll have um, yeah some coverage there, and it's yeah nine till six every day, so it's going to be pretty intense. Wow. But it's what it's all led up to. This is, I guess, the equivalent of um, a band going on tour. You know, you do all this practice, you've, you've made your album, you've done your rehearsals. It's time to go out, and that's I've actually approached. I'm not sure how I can really describe it, but the mentality I've come to approach this game, I've treated it a bit like a band in a way, mm. and I can't really make because it's got the metal tininess with my background. That's the sort of you know mindset I've had. Okay, and then. A thought has just come to me as I've been talking to you. So something like this to me, like, seems to lend itself to the idea of like um, a video game where it would have downloadable future content. Is that something that you would plan to include later on, or do games like this have such things like that, like where you can buy extra uh, cards, players, or you know that type of stuff down the line? Yeah, yeah. So you just have like an expansion. So That's one of the things of, yeah. I was thinking of originally, um, where we have there's ten different regions of Aragorn that players can play through, and because there's these um, winding maps that go within so say you can put them in any order because you've got these same entry and exit points in every map mm. so you could do this example you could play like the uh, this is not what actually what they're called but you can play like the forest level the fire level and the ice level for example and mm. then the next day you put the ice level at the front and you still have the same um, continuation you know between the different maps so my plan was I was thinking oh, I could add like a couple of extra ones in the, for the kickstar mate, but I was thinking do you know what it comes to that point where you end up making the box bigger and it adds a lot more complications. So my plan will be, you know, providing this goes well, it'll be, yeah, we'll look at doing an expansion. I mean, I've written a whole story that goes with the game and my plan is to do five games in total on, based in the series. So you've got, as you mentioned earlier, you've got like Skeleton, which is the, um, it's the final boss in this game. And then you've got Oblivion, who's going to be the way, way down the road in the fifth game, kind of that. And then there's different ages mentioned history so we could do expansions to go back in time and use the same yeah, yeah. The, the, you know, we could have these mechanics which will be established by the series it's the same universe kind of thing like. exactly because you know stuff like I just you know, I think it comes from being um, don't get me wrong like, I haven't written anything like Lord of the Rings you know, this, right. I'm going to keep myself like in check but you know that kind of stuff where it has like these expansive universe and mm. you know, just being able to um, yeah I just think it's cool having like a whole world and um, being able to do this project has given me complete artistic freedom to do whatever I want. So it's been, I've loved it. Yeah. There's a, there's, there's another word, not universe, but it, it, it 
kind of covers the same type of thing and I, it won't come to me now um but anyway it doesn't matter it might come to me later okay so the kickstarters the 31st of may uh what i was asking you earlier that i interrupted myself was what what is what does your day look like on that day and the days that follow? Are you going to be personally busy, or will the fulfillment company handle most of the stress? I think on the thirty first, I think I'll press the go live button, sit in a corner, and try not to throw up. Probably. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So what will happen? There'll be um, a thirty day period where you know people can go on, check out the page, and back the game. By the time we get to the end of that thirty day period, we'll know whether or not it's been successful. Mm. Um, from that point, providing it's been successful, there will then be a period of the artist being able to do the art and then we'll be sending it off to manufacture. So the art is going to take a rough, roughly, and again, this is kind of tied into how much money we raise is how much art gets made. So mm. um, it could be like a three month period perhaps to get all the art done. Um, but yeah, what, once once it's gone live, it'll just be a case of me probably refreshing every three seconds to see how much is on there. But the fulfillment company don't come into it until we've, um, properly until we've funded. And then from there we'll set Of course, up. yeah, sorry. Sure, you wouldn't have yeah. the manufacturers yet. Sorry, it wasn't yeah, so what, about that. But with the manufacturers, yeah, we've been working with them for um, for months. Like I've been emailing, I've got three basically will be going between depending on how many copies we sell. So they're all, all three of them are, are, are perfect choices, but it's trying to find the right uh, fit for the volume that we sell. So we're going to take it from right. there. Excellent. Right. Well, that was absolutely fascinating. Um, I'm going to wrap it up now. But is there anything else you would like to say to people who've listened to this? who might just listen to the episodes that I release, but regardless of what the topic is, and their ears might have pricked up and gone, shit, that sounds really interesting. Is there anything else you'd like to say about the game to potential uh, Kickstarter funders? I don't know what you call them. Kickstarters? <laughs> I, I think kick, yeah, Kickstarters would probably be uh, you're fine. It'd be a case of, you know, if, if you're into you know, exploration games, into dungeon crawlers and adventure games, and you're into heavy metal, I mean, this is the game which basically combines both those two worlds together. You'll be able to go through... You know, 160 different characters with lots of different variation, give you different tactics and strategic ways you can play with them. And um, yeah, it's going to have a kick-ass soundtrack of 20 uh, metal songs. There's not many board games that have that, I guess. So, No, I'd say probably, probably none. And then remind us again, when and where is this expo? So it's at the Birmingham NEC. Okay, and when is that? And that's on the uh, Jubilee weekend. So that's the third through to the sixth, I want to say. So it's the Thursday through to, or Friday through to the Sunday for the public. Excellent. And then where can people reach you if they're interested in Book of Skulls and they want to know more? So if you go to bookofskulls.co.uk, it will have all the information on there, links to the Kickstarter page, um, our mailing list, which is uh, a key thing for us at the moment, and there's links to the soundtrack there as well, all for the song that's on there so far. Excellent. And on Twitter, Instagram, that type of thing? Yeah, yeah. yeah we're on, on Instagram as well. So on Instagram and Facebook, we're Book of Skulls Game. And on Twitter, we're just Book of Skulls. But if you go to the website... It's got all the links to everything on there. Essentially, if you search Book of Skulls in any of those platforms, you'll find you. Yeah, yeah if you see a really cool-looking purple cover with a guy in the middle with some uh, purpley smoke coming off his hands, that that's me. All right, Andy, it was a pleasure to speak to you. Best of luck with the expo and the launch on the 31st of May. And please, if you're listening to this and you're interested, go to the social media links that Andy mentioned and donate to the Kickstarter campaign on the 31st of May when it goes live. Best of luck with everything. I hope you hope you succeed and exceed your expectations. That's great. Thank you so much for having me on. It's been great. You're very welcome. Okay, so that was my chat with Andy. You got a social media links there. If you're interested, as I said, find him, look him up. And if you're very interested, go and invest in the game. Get yourself involved in the Kickstarter campaign starting on 31st of May. Next time you hear me, I'll be back with my next episode 
of my virtual 11 series with Andrew De Bruy, but I thought the timely nature of this Kickstarter campaign and the event that's happening around it in the Birmingham NEC, it would be wise to put this episode up in between because as we saw with the last one, that took me over two weeks to produce. So I cannot guarantee that the next one won't take me a similar length, but I hope it won't. Anyway, that's going to do it for episode 57 of Feckin' Metal. I've been your host, Fergal Trainer. If you want to connect with me online, you can get me at Feckin' Metalcast on Twitter. Realistically, that's the only place I am nowadays. Chat to me there. I will chat back to you. I'm going to leave you with the Birds of Fire track, Book of Skulls Battle Theme 1, as we discussed on the episode. The rest of the soundtrack is to follow. This is available on Spotify if you look at Birds of Fire. I hope you enjoy it. Thank you for listening, and I'll see you next time. (laughs) 